People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Hey, we're here on another Kidney Talk, and I, we're on location today. Yes, we're in Seattle. Isn't this exciting? I know. Where are the Seahawks? You know they're setting up the stadium here for the Rolling Stones. I love the Rolling Stones. I know. I, I've never seen them. I hear they have oxygen things and walkers and everything now. <laughs> you know, well, I traveled uh, last week to Philadelphia with you. I know. It was great. And I had, well, it was great for you. But I went to a dialysis unit that was just absolutely horrible. I won't I mention the name of it. No, I don't think you should. I asked them, uh, I said, I'd like to use my buttonholes. And they held out their hand, wanting me to hand them my buttonholes. Oh. They had no idea what it was. They thought they were the buttons on your shirt, huh? Absolutely. I, oh. And I was wearing a buttonless shirt. We're here at the Expo in Seattle, Washington. And we're going to be talking about the history of dialysis. And we have two special guests, Dr. Christopher Blagg. And uh, he's a pioneer nephrologist. And He's a pioneer, a, a like pioneer, from yes. Little House on the Prairie kind of pioneer. I know, it's pretty funny. Isn't it? And Nancy Spaeth, who is also a pioneer kidney patient. I she love started, Nancy Spaeth. I know, isn't that exciting? She's so, great. When we come back, we'll talk to Nancy Spaeth and Dr. Blagg. In, in that order, actually. <laughs> When you think back about your high school years, one of the strongest memories people have is their prom. It's their one night to shine, one night to dance the night away, one night to ride in a stretch limo, one night to feel like a star. This January 14th, the Renal Support Network will hold its eighth annual premiere event, the Renal Teen Prom. This is the chance for teens to stop thinking about the needle sticks, the PD exchanges, and the constant meds they have to take. For one night, they celebrate their life with hundreds of other teen kidney patients, and the only prescription is, have the time of your life. So this January 14th, join us on the campus of prestigious Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California. The prom features live entertainment, a renal-friendly dinner, dancing, limo rides, glamour photos, and Hollywood celebrities. And get this, it's absolutely free. To receive an invitation or make a donation to an Evening Among the Stars renal teen prom, Visit rsnhope.org or call 818-543-0896. That's 818-543-0896. You've got the power to brighten someone's life. This is your chance to shine like the stars. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book Don't know much about the French I took And we're back with Nancy Spaeth and Dr. Chris Blagg. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Dr. Blagg. Oh, yeah, hi. I forgot to say hi. I just assumed they you're, were going to know just, that we were talking to You just are always him. polite. Stephen. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I got to work on my manners. <laughs> now, listen, Nancy, tell us about you. I mean, you know, you're a, a patient survivor. What does that mean exactly? Well, actually, it's just been my life. I got diagnosed in 1959. I started dialysis in 1966. 1959? My God, you must have been two. 
No, I was 11. 11. 11, wow. I'm trying to compliment the guest. Do you see how I did that? <laughs> that was very Do you smooth, see how Stephen. I did that? Very smooth. Right, thank um, you. <laughs> you're welcome. So, what was it like back then? Well, um, being that I was in high school and junior high while my kidneys were failing, I wasn't paying much attention. When it was time for me to go on dialysis, I really didn't know a lot. I just went to the appointments I was told to go to. My mother and my brothers knew more what was going on than I did. But I had to pass through the committee, which we call the Life and Death Committee. I know. I've heard the history of that. Explain that to Stephen, what that was like. Yeah, No, I, I actually know it, but it's, it's so interesting and it's so incredibly, you know, sad. I had to go see a psychiatrist. I had to take psychological testing for two days. My mom had to meet with the social worker and the financial people because you had to have enough money. But my mother worked for the state and had double covered herself with insurance. And I didn't have my first one till 72. I see. So you were like the hippie kind of transplant. Yeah. So once you had to learn that you had to go on dialysis, what, what was dialysis like? Well, I did it overnight. How many hours? Eight Eight, Eight hours. hours. Actually, I did it for 12 in the beginning on a pediatric kidney because I only weighed about 88 pounds. I weighed 88 pounds when I was born. <laughs> so, um, but once I got stabilized, then I went to eight hours overnight. And then I eventually went to uh, the coach house, part of the University of Washington, and Dr. Blagg, who's here with us, and I Dr. Scribner and Dr. Eschbach, and their technicians and nurses, trained me to do my dialysis at home. Well, Dr. Blagg, what were some of the obstacles back then of getting people on dialysis? Money. Money? I mean, it costs, it costs $15,000 or more a year to uh, maintain a patient. 15000 a year? And uh, What would that be in today's dollars? Well, probably about 50000 or more. I don't know. 50000 That's my budget for McDonald's. No, there was no private insurance. <laughs> uh, there was some money from the NIH and mm. other sources. But, I mean, that was always subject to failure at some point. The grant would run out. So you had to have money. Right. So what the way the system worked was there was an age limit, um, originally 18 to 45. You had to have no other complicated disease. You couldn't be a diabetic. You could only have hypertension that was well controlled. And uh, then you had to go through psychological screening, financial screening, and then the committee had to select from maybe four or five patients who would get a spot. Who would get the spot. And four basically, or five out of how many? No, no four, four or five patients total. Because, because of the rigid limits, of medical limits, and because a lot of doctors and people didn't know about it at this time, it wasn't bad. Right, when I say four or five patients out of how many patients altogether, would you say? Well, we don't really know, but um, I would suggest that... Um, population of Seattle at that time, we'll say, was a million. There were, in theory, I think there were, oh, probably three or four hundred patients a year, at least. And, wow. and how did you, you know, this is the, the weird question, how do you go about telling someone that they cannot have dialysis and they're just going to live their few weeks out? The physicians didn't. The physicians met, said that the patient met the medical criteria. This anonymous committee made the decision, and people understood. I mean... In fact, one or two people actually took them out of the committee, uh, went to the committee and declined to go on treatment. They and declined? Why would they decline? Well, um, one member, one person in particular I can think of is a person who felt that uh, uh, the government should pay for things like dialysis. So he was going to show them and just That's kill right. himself. He's well, show them. Well, I mean, 
He was going to die. I mean, the people, the man who ran the committee for a long time used to say that we're not condemning people to death. Everybody's going to die. We're allowing some people to live. Absolutely. And that was, you know, the limitations were there. And what happened was this was so, so big an issue. Uh, Life magazine and NBC News had uh, programs about it that the whole question of bioethics became a major subject in universities and so on as a result of this ethical question. Is it fair to select people this way? But what other ways could you have done it? You could do it by a lottery maybe, or you could do it on a first-come, first-served basis. But if you did that in particular, think of the political problems when uh, the senator so-and-so called you and said, why don't you treat this patient? Right. Right. Speaking of politics, you could also do it the way they do it and just take kickbacks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Black and Nancy. It's kind of like a team, Nancy and Dr. Black, kind of Ginger and Roger. Well, we are at a stadium, so. Oh, I just love pretzels. Let's, let me see here. One serving is six pretzels? What, are they kidding me? Who only ate six pretzels? I have to stay on my renal diet. I know. I can bite part of one pretzel. Then bite the side of another pretzel. And then I hook them together, and I can count that as one pretzel. Mmm. Boy, that was good. You know what I love now? A big gulp. Now if I fill it up halfway and then drink it and refill it to the top, now that won't count towards my daily fluid intake. Or will it? Make the connection. Eating high-sodium foods makes you thirsty, which will make you retain more fluids. Do you want to share a tip on how to stay within your fluid limit? Email us at kidneytalk at rsnhope.org and we'll let our listeners in on your different tips. Don't know much about the French I took, but I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. Hey, we're back here at the Seattle Expo Center, or whatever it's called, the Seahawks Center. It's it's the Quest Field. The Quest Field. I knew that. (laughs) I knew that. I love the Quest Field. It's the best stadium in the NFL. (laughs) Nancy, tell us more about, you know, how, as a teenager, you coped with this kidney disease. I basically was a normal teenager. That's not what your mother says. um, I did everything normal teenagers did. I went on dates. Um, oh, you want to tell us about that? The biggest problem, no. the no. biggest problem show, was going Steven. to the Burgermaster after the football game, and all my friends having to wait for my French fries to arrive with no salt. Oh, but you had potatoes, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, but my kidneys weren't that bad yet. Oh, I see. But I didn't want the salt because I wanted to keep my blood pressure down. Well, I think one person we have to mention I'm a big fan of because I'm, I'm here because of him. I had a, a Scribner shunt in 1968 that allowed me to receive dialysis. And I think we would be remiss in not speaking about the grandfather of dialysis, Dr. Belding Scribner. Is this another one of those doctors you had a crush on? Uh, no, th- that was Dr. DeFlo from DeFlo, Fresno. That's right. DeFlo Dr. from Fresno. Dr. Scribner had a different kind of crush on, the okay. fact that he kept me alive. Oh, that, that, that would do it. One of my fondest memories of Dr. Scribner, and, and Dr. Blegg understands this because he's had similar experiences, although he doesn't have a black cocktail dress. Um, when you I don't? Was, no. <laughs> when I was in college... Um, and I lived just on the Capitol Hill above where Dr. Scribner lived. 
um, he would call me and say, Nancy, are you busy Friday or Friday night? And I'd say no. And he said, well, put on that black cocktail dress. I've got such and such a corporation coming for dinner. And so on the appointed night, I would put on my sleeveless black sheath and drive down the hill with my Scribner shunt wrapped in white Curlix gauze and uh, have dinner. Usually, um, Ethel, his wife, would fix a standing rib roast with no salt. And we would have dinner and entertain the men from, you know, XX Corporation. <laughs> that sounds like a different kind yeah. of deal. You I entertain don't men in a slinky black dress. <laughs> what, were, what were you guys selling? <laughs> we had dinner. And then um, later in the evening, Dr. Scribner would disappear. And the first time I thought he'd just gone to the bathroom, but he never came back. He went to bed. So I was left entertaining the gentleman. And <laughs> Ethel was doing the dishes. And then um, I would, you know explain that he always went to bed early and to get up early and work. And then um, they would leave. And then Dr. Scribner would often call me about two weeks later and say, Nancy, we got the grant. Wow. So the whole point of him going to sleep was to basically have you talk to the people and sell. I don't think sell, that was it. No, and to sell like the need for kidney disease because well, you were a young girl. Is that, no, no, is that how used, it worked? He used to want to get up at four in the morning and write write letters. I mean, didn't have email in those days. So right. he, he got up and worked early in the day. He worked. Oh, okay, yes. so he went to sleep because he was tired. Yes, yeah. okay. and he got up early and worked. He well, that's, had a, that's a great system. I think, Lori, actually, you should do that. You should put on your sleep. Slinky black dress. Slinky those, blank dress. Those pink hot pants that you wore to the studio the other day. <laughs> and my cowboy boots. Absolutely. The pink <laughs> hot pants and the cowboy boots. And you'll get lots of grants. <laughs> what do I do with that? Anyways. Um, <laughs> so, Dr. Blank, tell us about Dr. Scribner and well, how he pioneered this industry. He developed the shunt. He, he was fortunate. I mean, it's all, everything in life is luck. I mean, he came up with the idea of the shunt, which had actually been uh, attempted in two or three places before, unsuccessfully. He came up with the idea and a passing cardiovascular surgeon in the hospital corridor told him about this new tubing they just got called Teflon. Teflon. He said it doesn't cause tissue reaction. They were wrapping it around pacemaker wires. And the next fortuitous thing was that uh, Quinton in the medical instrument shop uh, was a, a wonderful engineer. He put the shunt together, and it wasn't till afterwards that they realized that Teflon is a non-stick material, and that's why it didn't clot. Well, for you listeners out there, what re that really uh, is applying, we, they couldn't figure out how to access our blood. I mean, every time somebody had to go on dialysis, they had to go to surgery. And it wasn't until they created this Teflon coating tubing that was able to insert in your veins that they were able to perform chronic dialysis on a, a repeat basis. So that was really the breakthrough, the access to the blood allowed um, us to receive chronic dialysis. And it's great for making omelets too, because it doesn't stick. <laughs> now, uh, Dr. Black, did you ever think there would be more than 400,000 people on dialysis and thousands in dialysis centers today? Not, not until the early 70s. I mean, uh, remember, we didn't treat older patients. We didn't treat our first diabetic in Seattle till about 1969. We had no idea that 50% of the patients in the country were going to be diabetics eventually. <clears throat> it wasn't until Medicare came in and um, we did some calculations the first year that Medicare came in and presented them at a, um, a meeting and I don't remember what number we came up with but we decided that, that it was going to cost before long a billion dollars a year and I don't think uh, many people believed us but now as you know it's 18 billion dollars a year so yeah. no we would no idea I mean the numbers have just grown and grown and grown. 
Now, if somebody was trying to be on the list and you guys back then decided, no, they couldn't be on dialysis, was there like an appeals process? No, there was only one patient who beat the committee. That was Richard Nixon, right? No, no, (laughs) before Richard Nixon, actually. Um, He came to a meeting and brought his attorney with him, and he had lots and lots of money, and he was older than the age limit. And he's the only person I know who beat the committee. He didn't even appeal. He just appeared with his attorney. So the biggest obstacle, basically, to, for all of us to be able to live today was the, the funding. Money. That's right. That's and right. Uh, the government um, imposing the entitlement program mm-hmm. that we receive today, I guess. Uh, open we the need doors. To, we open the doors for us to all um, receive the care we need and the te- technology to be developed so and that co- we could live a longer life. And, of course, the government didn't know what it was getting into. About six months after the program began, the New York Times had an editorial about it entitled Medicarelessness because they hadn't calculated the cost. They didn't take into account how many patients were going to live. They were people just from the community, There were. There was a housewife and, a, a, you know, oh, and the community a minister. Was, oh, wow. Yes, yes. Nope, no kidney doctor. It was just doctor. local... People. Oh, I thought it was like a committee of doctors. No, no, no doctors. Wow. There was one it was a doc- doctor on the committee, yes. but he was not a kidney doctor. It was true democracy. <laughs> what do you think is one of the, the best things that's happening today in the dialysis community? Well, the, the best thing for patients is the fact that there's interest again in more dialysis, longer dialysis, home dialysis. And there are a couple of companies here today showing machines that are designed specifically for use by patients. The big companies are modifying their machines to be useful by patients. And look at it this way. The average patient in this country gets somewhere about 11 hours of dialysis a week in a center. The average patient, they get more more here in Seattle. Um, If you dialyze at home overnight, even just three times a week, you get... 24 hours of treatment a week and the more dialysis you have the better because your own kidneys work 24 7 Mm -hmm. and um, someday we'll get to a wearable kidney probably in about five or ten years you'll have there'll be not only a wearable kidney but even an implantable artificial kidney listen dr black i you know i'm just i'm i'm listening to you and talking to you and where are you from I'm from England. You're from England. Now, see, I thought you were from Arkansas. No, no, no. I, I totally missed the boat on that one. Well, gosh, thank you guys for coming and stopping by here from the expo, and uh, good luck to you, and and let's get more people on that home dialysis, because I yes. think that's the key. Definitely. Quite right. And also, remember to sign your donor card as well. I don't claim to be an A student, but I'm trying to be. For maybe by being an A student, baby, I can win your love for me. Dr. Mr. Shelton's in room three. Thank you. Mr. Shelton. Mr. Shelton. Ah, yes, doctor. What seems to be the problem today? Um, I'm having a problem not being able to sleep. Really? I also find it difficult to breathe. We open a window or turn on a fan or something? Certainly. Uh, let me ask you, do you feel depressed? No, I, I don't think so. But, but I do think my life is worthless, and I don't enjoy things I used to. And I feel like the whole world may blow up. But other than that, not really. That's weird. I, I also have a problem concentrating. Like the other day, do you know how they get those model ships in those bottles? Actually, I will have a cheeseburger. Of course I can do the Macarena. Oh, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. 
Mr. Shelton? M miss Mr. Shelton! Uh, yes, doctor. You obviously have low energy. That's amazing. How did you know? Mr. Shelton, I believe you're anemic. Actually, I'm half Irish, but my dad knows someone in Armenia. No, ar ar anemic. We'll give you a simple blood test and we'll run your hematocrit. It needs to be at least 33%. We'll have you back to normal in no time. Some of the medications we can give you while you're doing your dialysis. Managing anemia results in a more active, happier, better quality of life, and studies show you may even live longer. Mr. Shelton? Mr. Shelton! Nurse, patient removal, room three. Yes, doctor. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. Well, wasn't that fascinating? It was fascinating. I, you know, I am so glad. I'm, I'm not glad I have kidney disease, but I'm so glad I have kidney disease now and not have to be chosen by one of the committees because, you know, I'm, me, I would have gotten a plumber that, you know, held something against me or something. I know. You probably would have said something not very nice and they would have kicked I you know. out. I know. I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> you know, my wife gets on me about that, but I'm not really politically correct, which is, you know, I think there's a dialysis That's, machine for that. Well, can they personality dialysis? Maybe they can add that to I the I know. That's what I need. I need personality dialysis <laughs> and I need to run 24-7. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.